as we go through Psalm 39 and 40, uh, we're going to see basically Psalm 39 is a prayer of David, ultimately for God's mercy and forgiveness in his life. Uh, You know, we're going to see he's being disciplined by the Lord, as so many of the Psalms, uh, unfortunately, David goes through that. But I think we can relate, huh? Because uh, I think God deals with us a lot. I think he's trying to change us. He's trying to conform us into his image. And so we learn from David. And so we're going to see that uh, really as a penitential psalm. But also along the way, we're going to see, we're going to learn lessons on the tongue and on time and on tears. And if you can remember those three points after the study, we'll give you a lollipop, okay? So Psalm 39, notice what we read in verse 1, is to the chief musician, to Jeduthun, it's a psalm of David. And so it's written uh, by David to this guy named Jeduthun. His name, it literally speaks of praising. And so apparently he was a Levite of the family of Merari. Uh, he was basically the head of one of the choirs there in the temple. There were three choirs. And so his descendants actually became... Uh, a perpetual uh, uh, participants in that temple choir. And so you'll read about him here in Psalm 39, also Psalm 62, and Psalm 77. And so uh, David here writing to him, but notice what he says in verse 1, I said, David says, I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. Have you guys ever done that? Have you ever sinned with your tongue? Man, I think we do it a lot, and I pray that we would hate it, that we would not sin. I mean, you know, prayerfully, man, we come to this place as Christians where I don't want to sin, because every sin, uh, it separates me in one sense from God. It, you know, the Bible says, don't be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And so, I pray that we hate sin. But, you know, one of the things that we're so flippant about is just sinning with our tongue. And so here David is just so cool. He he came to this place. I said, I will guard my ways lest I I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. While the wicked are before me, I was mute with silence. I held my peace, notice, even from good. And my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me while I was musing or meditating. The fire burned. And so we're going to see here, uh, David is, is, gives us a lesson, I think, on the tongue, something I think we can always use as a reminder. Uh, have you guys learned that lesson yet? Have you guys learned that? Why God gave us two ears and one mouth? Have you guys learned that? Because he wants us to listen a lot more than we speak. And I, I know I've learned, I'm trying to learn, even sometimes the power of silence. Sometimes the best thing you can say is nothing. <laughs> you know, just, Lord, put some duct tape over my mouth, you know. Uh, we got to pray that prayer. David uh, wrote in Psalm 141, verse 3, said, A guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. You know, like we got these guys, they're guarding the door right there, right? No one can come in and no one can go out unless really they, they say and it's kind of like the Lord, you're, you're, you be my guard. I don't want to say anything that doesn't get your green light. That right there is a sign of a seasoned saint. That right there is what we want to aspire to when we can actually come to a place where we allow God to tame our tongue. 
You know, even Solomon, when he was struggling as a saint, you know, in a, in a time when he wasn't at his best behavior, so to speak, he wrote those words in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, in verse 1, he said, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And then in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, A time to keep silence and a time to speak. And have you learned, as you get older, I think you learned, but maybe some of you young people, you know, uh, it's, it's better a lot of times just to be quiet, right? And so we have to know when we have to be controlled by the Spirit. We have to be in this place where I don't want to sin. You know, I mean, especially when the wicked are before you. You know, sometimes it can be a little difficult when people are unreasonable. And I think we all go through things like that. I know I do. A couple of Sundays ago, and you guys may think, well, I'm sure Manny doesn't go through anything. Oh, man, I do. You know, and some guy wanted to talk to me. He said, I want to talk to you, Pastor Manny. And I'm, as I'm walking through the doors, it's a Sunday morning. I'm about to teach. And so I just kept going, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, we know better, huh? I think we've learned that. Notice again what he says there in verse 2. I was mute with silence. I held my peace. So important, you know, because we want that peace in our life. Sometimes when we say something we shouldn't say, we, we lose that peace. And it's, it's a different way of looking at it, to hold on to peace. Don't, don't start a war of words. I think we can do that if we speak unnecessary sparks. It only starts fires. And then one day, and I've learned basically these things accumulate and they burn down your house. You lose your family over stuff like that. You know, I, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the passage in James chapter 3. Let's turn there together. James chapter 3. And James begins in verse 1. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word... He is a perfect man. Now that word, it literally means he's a mature man. Able also to bridle the whole body. And so uh, there's different ways of looking at that. Either he, um, because he's able to bridle his tongue, in one sense the tongue leads the body, and there's something about that. Or if he's able to bridle the tongue, he's also able to bridle the body. I mean, this guy basically has come to a place of, of maturity. And then, so this guy who's tamed the tongue, maybe he can be a teacher, right? And he goes on and he gives illustrations. He says in verse 3, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouses that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. You know, and horses are strong. Have you ever seen those horses? I mean, you ever, guys have ever ridden a horse? I mean, these stallions. I mean, imagine that, this huge, you know, strong animal being led by that, that bit, you know, it, what a difference it makes. Or he says, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. I mean, it's almost as if if you can tame, if you can take care of the tongue, then your whole life, it goes in the proper direction. That's kind of what he's saying. You know, even so, however, it can be bad. The, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire 
kindles? I mean, you guys know all the fires that are going on, right? I mean, how did they start? Somewhere along the line, that, that massive fire started with a little spark somewhere. And that's what happens in people's lives. I mean, this is not some insignificant topic. This is huge. I mean, that tongue is Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That tongue is an indication of whether or not, you know, you're under the control of the Holy Spirit and you can, you know, you know lead a horse uh, to battle and you can bring victory. You can take a ship from one, you know, world to another and you can be a pioneer or you can start a fire. You can burn things down. It says the tongue is a fire in verse 6. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. I mean, sometimes the things that we say are straight from the pit of hell. That's the devil. Jesus told Peter, even Peter. Peter had just spoken. It was a supernatural revelation. Next thing you know, he's Peter saying, not so, Lord. You're not going to go to the cross. No way. And the Lord says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Because, you know, that's the influence sometimes that the enemy has when we allow him to. We have to be so careful with every single word we speak. In verse 7, he says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by, by mankind. I mean, don't you guys trip out on how these guys are able to tame, like, whales? I mean, how, how do you tame a whale? How do you train a whale to do things? Or, you know, whatever, elephants? I mean, these animals, it's amazing. Lions? I mean, how do, they can tame the animals. Man can tame these beasts. But notice he says right here, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You know what that means? I mean, sometimes if we're not careful with what we say, people die. That's how important it is that we make sure that we, you know, we take this to heart. I, uh, I, when I first got saved, you know, God took the drugs away. I no longer did drugs. I haven't done drugs since before I was a Christian, 1989. I haven't sipped, you know, beer, wine, vodka, nothing, you know. I mean, he took away the, the profanities. I mean, just some things he took away. But, but, you know, I'll be honest, man. Sometimes I say things that I shouldn't say with a tone of voice that's wrong. You know, hopefully those things have diminished in frequency. But, you know, one of the things the Lord showed me is that you can't do it. And I think I can. I'm like, well, Lord, this is not really a big deal. I think I can do this. And the Lord said, you can't. You can't do anything without me, Manny. Do you understand that? And then a lot of times I'll say, well, Lord, I'm okay. I got this. And that's why I fall. That's why I fail. The truth is we can't do anything good apart from the Lord. And that's why a lot of times we fail in the words that we speak, especially at home. So be careful. You know, no man can tame the tongue, right? But God can, right? And that's what we need to come to. We need to come to a place of prayer and dependence upon the Holy Spirit where we wake up every day, we check in, 
you know, fill me up, Lord, because I can't face anyone without you. And then we can go into our day and we can face the situations that we'll face. And so, so back in Psalm 39, that's one of the lessons that David is sharing with us. Notice again in verse 3, he said, as this is all going on, he, he wasn't speaking, but he, will, he wanted to. <laughs> Have you guys ever been there? Because I, I, you know, I, I don't say anything, but man, I would, I would, my flesh would love to just, you know, <laughs> say all this stuff. But, but he says, my heart was hot within me when I was musing, the fire burned. Um, he was meditating on these things, thinking about it. And he was just tempted basically to boil over and explode. But I love what he did instead. You know what he did instead? He prayed. And he spoke to God. Notice in verse 3, Then I spoke with my tongue. And he said in verse 4, Lord, make me to know my end. And, and what is the measure of my days? That I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor, Salah. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. You know, one day the guy's going to die. Why did you do all that? Why did you accumulate all that for yourself? You know, in my Bible, verse 4 is not only highlighted, it's underlined. It's such a great prayer to pray. That, that we would acknowledge our weakness and our need for God. That we would be in tune with our frailty, our mortality. Normally, we don't think about dying, you know, because, you know, we're healthy. Unless we get some diagnosis, then maybe we'll think about it. But, you know, no man has tomorrow guaranteed. And so, you know, we have to think along those lines, how frail I am, how mortal I am. I need life insurance because the truth is I might die. Who's going to take care of my family? We have to be, you know, uh, in, 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 in tune with that, right? And so, Lord, he says, make me to know uh, my end. Make me to know that one day my life's going to be over. Uh, what is the measure of my days? You know, our, our life here we read in, is like a vapor. It's so short. It, it really is, relatively speaking. Some, you know, lives are, are shorter than others, right? And we don't know. You know, you may think, you may be here tonight thinking, I'm good to 80 or 90 or 100, you know, 60. I don't know. You might, some of you here, you know, you might not live, you might not be here next week. That's just the reality of it. And so you're struggling with your tongue. Maybe it'll help you to know that you don't have a lot of time. Why have you been waiting so long to get your life right with God? I mean, we don't know when we're going to die. Not trying to freak anybody out, not trying to scare anybody, but it is the truth. And so, you know, we don't know when the Lord's coming. And when he comes, I want to be right. I want to be doing things that are honoring to him. You know, our, our life is a vapor, and so we need to pray, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days? And Pastor Chuck, he said this, there is, interestingly enough, sort of a feeling of immortality by man. None of us are, are really expecting to die within the next week or month or the next year. 
we sort of have a sense of immortality. Like, like, yes, I know that death is coming, but it's down the road yet a ways. And we don't realize how frail we actually are. And thus we go on thinking, one day I'll take care of that. You know, one day I'll get right with God. One day I'll really think about serving the Lord. But he says, Lord, help me to know my end, the measure of my days, how long I have, and help me to realize how frail I am. You know, uh, again, I, I think it'd be good to go to James because I think James was thinking about this when he wrote his letter in chapter 4. So back to James. I should have had you keep your marker there, huh? Because you're getting dizzy. Can you turn to James chapter 4? And notice what it says in verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, I'll be honest with you, man. When I leave in the morning and I say goodbye to my wife, you know, it's like, I'll see you later, Lord willing. Because we don't know. And it almost, I almost don't like saying that, but I have to. Because I might not make it to later or she might not make it to later and and we have to remind ourselves of that all the time you know james here is talking about guys who make their plans oblivious to the sovereignty of god you know these guys think that you know they'll live and they just make their plans it's never a thought and james just says your life is a vapor you got to know that and you have to live in that you know, in Psalm 39, I think it's a lesson on the tongue. We all need that. And I think it's also a lesson on time. Time management. Imagine if you got these things right. How we need the Lord and need to know our, our frailty, our mortality, that life on earth, it, it really will. This is not just, you know, some, you know, I don't know, this dream, it's, it's a reality. Life on earth will end one day and we'll stand before God and we'll give an account of our life. You know how we need to know that life on earth ends and there is a, a measure to our days. You know, today is Matthew's birthday. I want to embarrass him. So give him money afterwards, okay? No, I'm just joking. But, you know, we, we celebrate birthdays because it's a year, you know, how many years. But the Bible actually says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, imagine if you numbered your days. I, I know for me, I'm close to a million now because I'm getting older. No, I'm just joking. I don't know how many days I, I, but, you know, you live every day and you realize it's a gift. Wow, another day. And praise God, you know, um, that's how we should live that's why Paul, knowing that time is short, he wrote those words of wisdom in Ephesians 5.16 where the Bible says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know, it's as if we need to redeem the time. We need to buy back the time. The world has a way of stealing away from us. 
You know, if, if I don't know if you're here. You guys probably aren't. Thank God that you're here on a midweek service. There should be more, you know? I mean, but here's the thing. You know, a lot of people, they waste a lot of time. You know, they like to kill time. And there's a good chance that if you have the mentality of that time's not that important, that you can just kind of do whatever, that you can kill time, then probably what's going to happen is there's a good chance that the purpose of your life will also perish if you choose to kill time. That's why so many people watch television nowadays. What for? I mean, it's just, it's, it's ruining them. They say the average American spends five hours a day watching television. And if you're retired, be careful because you're even, you're even watching more television. So uh, that's between you and the Lord. You know, he'll show you. Maybe he wants you to get something out of the Andy Griffith show. I'm not sure, you know. But, <laughs> I mean, the bottom line is, you know, we need to redeem the time because we're all short timers. We don't know how long we have, right? And that's something that I think we're, we're learning. You know, some things are, are beyond our control. You know, and the accumulation of the American life. Did you guys know that the average American will spend six months sitting at stoplights. So I'm going to start running them. No, I'm just joking. It's eight months. This is, I don't know about this. Eight months opening junk mail. So just shred them. One year looking for misplaced objects. You guys ever lose your keys? And you're looking around for an hour? You know what I learned? Just put a hook right there. <laughs> and they'll always be there, right? I mean, just think about it. One year looking for misplaced objects, uh, for some it's longer, uh, four years doing housework, just let the house go, five years, <laughs> five years waiting in lines, so just get to the front, six years eating, now I think that's good, that's a good one, <laughs> you know, and again, some of those things, uh, they seem to be a waste of time, they're unavoidable, but we can redeem those things times also just a a word of suggestion you know while you're doing some of those things uh maybe doing housework my wife will play chuck smith studies i mean she's listening to studies and praise music all day long redeem the time you know if you're waiting in line at the bank have a three by five note card in your in your pocket and you're memorizing scripture you know what i'm saying i mean just um, obviously the just big things the lord will show you redeeming the time because the day's are evil. We need to spend our time wisely knowing that our time is limited. You know, I want to read to you guys a poem. Do you guys like poems? Some of you don't. It's all right. I'm going to read it anyways, okay? It's called The Dash. There was a man who stood to speak. It was the funeral of a friend. He read the dates on the brochure, the beginning to the end. He spoke the first, the date of birth, the latter date with tears, but he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that small dash represents the time alive on earth. And now all who loved the friend knew what that little line was worth. For it matters not the stuff we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What counts is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard, and there are things you'd like to change. Whatever time you have left, there's still time to rearrange. If only we'd be spirit-led, walk humbly even more, and love the Lord with all our hearts like we've never loved before. 
If we treat each other with respect and often wear a smile, it bears the wisdom that the dash only lasts a while. So when that eulogy is read, your life's actions to rehash, do your best to make the best of how you live that dash. Because we only got a certain amount of time. Don't waste it. And David said, Lord, make me to know the end of my days. Lord, help me to know that I just got a measure and I want to live it for you, right? I mean, one other thing, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not. I think this is a scientific fact. I think it is. But have you guys ever noticed that the older you get, the faster time goes? Remember when you were little, the, the summer lasted 10 years? You know, and then as you get older, you find, man, I can't believe it's already, you know, 2018. I remember 2000K. You guys remember that whole Y2K thing? I mean, that was yesterday, it seems like. But it does seem like the older you get, the faster time ticks. And so here's another poem. It's a shorter one. When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. Later, as I older grew, time flew. And soon I shall find, as I travel on, time gone. And that's why it's so cool to see you here. It's so cool to know that sometimes you'll take your time, you'll carve out time to pray. You won't find the time, you'll make the time to read your Bible, or to serve, to be obedient to the Lord, because our life is limited. You know, just be aware that God would help us to tame our tongue and to spend our time wisely. Since time flies and life is short, how important it is, you know, that we're right with God. Are you right with God today? Do you know how much He loves you, and have you given Him your heart? Man, I pray that if not, that today you would do that. You know, here in Psalm 39, David here, he says in verse 7, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Really, it was you who disciplined me. That's what David is saying there. I realized that. That's why at the end of the day, that's why I didn't, I didn't say anything. And so he says in verse 10, Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. I think David was really sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He understood that what he was going through was because of his sins. He says in verse 11, When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is vapor. And so David's psalm is a cry for deliverance from all his transgressions. Really, that's the heart of it, you know? I mean, he tells God, I'm just a split second one. You're the eternal one. I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. Lord, if you don't intervene, you don't intervene, then I'm going to be the reproach of the foolish. I'll be consumed by the blow of your hand. So my so-called beauty, he says, will wither away without you. Apparently, this is another one of those 
penitential psalms. David spent time in the penitentiary. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. You know, he was, uh, he was sorry for his sins. He was asking God for forgiveness, something I think that we need to do much more frequently and much more deeply. You know, knowing who we've sinned against. Like one of the reasons I don't want to sin, you know, is because every single sin is against him. If I speak disrespectfully to my wife or my children or whatever the case may be, if I get upset or lie or accuse or whatever it is, I'm not just doing it to the person. I'm doing it to God. That's why when the Lord appeared to Saul, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Because when we sin, we sin against God. And that's why we should hate it. And that's why when we do sin, we don't just skip over it, you know, like it ain't no thing. I mean, it's, it's a big thing. We need to get on our knees and we need to ask God for forgiveness. You know, when I was Catholic, we went to the confessional. That wasn't necessary per se. You know, I would have to tell the priest my sins. But it seems like now when you're a Protestant, it swings to the other side of the pendulum. And we never talk about that with God. Try it. You know, where we would come to that place of confession and repentance. You know, a lot of times I think Christians, they misunderstand the whole thing about grace. Well, grace is I can sin and God forgives me. No, repent. And, and what that means is you resolve to never do that again. If that's not in your heart, if you're like, okay, God, forgive me. I might do it again, you know, in an hour or so. But, you know, Lord, forgive me for now. You know what? He's probably going to have to deal with us. Repentance means, Lord, by the grace of God, by your strength, by your power, I resolve never to do this again. And we confess our sins. And there's that, that aspect of, they call them the penitential psalms. And then we can ask God for forgiveness, right? And this is one of those psalms. God was dealing with him David knew it, and so he prayed for God to deliver him from all his transgressions. And, and really, this psalm right here, that's the heart of it, but I think we learn about the tongue, about time, and also about tears. What David is doing here is way more than a song. It's the cry of the creature rising to the creator because I, I think over the years, David has learned the value of tears. You know, we blow it in life, but I hope we know that, you know, just because we get knocked down, it doesn't mean we stay down, right? I mean, you might feel like, maybe I don't know where you're at today. You might feel like you're losing, but understand it's not over. You can still win if you cry out to God, help me. I don't know what you made me to do but I know there's a mission. I know I'm supposed to make a difference in my family, in the flock, wherever you will send me. And I don't want to miss out on that. So we cry. And God hears. You know, one of the, I like the verse right here, in verse um, 8. Deliver me from all... Oh, verse 7, that's the one. And now, Lord... What do I wait for? My hope. I love that. My hope. 
is in you. You know, I mean, that's the Lord. I mean, our hope is in him. And when our hope is in him, it's a great hope. Because God can do anything with anyone who will let him. But we have to let him. You know, it's time to do more than try. I, I believe it's time to cry because I know that God hears those tears. Notice in verse 12, he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I'm a stranger with you. That's how he felt, a sojourner as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. You know, it's a lesson, I think, in, in the tongue. Imagine how life would change if we allowed God to tame our tongue. Or it's a lesson in time that, you know, let's live our life for God. Let's redeem the time. You know, and, and it's a lesson, I think, on tears. And, and when you cry, when you pray to God, that he will answer. You know, David right here is interesting. Do not be silent at my tears. And I've always told you guys that the, the tears, sometimes we don't have the words, but we do have the tears. And they're liquid prayers. Sometimes I'm listening to worship music and I put my headphones on and I get on my knees and I listen to worship music and I just cry and I don't know why. And I feel like it's like the Lord saying, it's your way of praying praise to me and you don't even know. You don't have the words to articulate it. And here's David, he's saying, he's saying, Lord, I'm talking to you with my tears. Don't be silent at my tears. Lord, respond. Lord, answer. Lord, speak. Because if you speak from your throne, words of encouragement or words to change me or change the circumstances or change that person, then everything changes. And so this is how we're, we're supposed to pray. You know, David was being disciplined. He was going through some hard times. Notice again in verse 13, remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength. Uh, now, it's a kind of a funny verse, but how many of you here, you had parents that all they had to do was look at you? Did you guys, any of you guys have parents like that? And all they had to do is look at you and you're like, <gasps> David is kind of saying that, although I don't think God would ever have that type of mean look but I think that he was just feeling it. He was feeling the heavy hand upon him. And says, Lord, don't look at me like that anymore because I'm going to die if you do. And so uh, a great psalm. And I think Psalm 40, it kind of builds on that because, you know, the, when you're in a situation like that, you could give up. When you're in a situation like that, you know, some people, unfortunately, the same sun that melts the wax, it hardens the clay. Some people, they go away from God or they don't want to live anymore. You know, they give up. There's no way, you know, God can do this and whatever the situation is or use my life. But you can't give up. That's the one thing, no matter how bad you think it is. I always tell people, the only way you lose is if you quit. So please, never quit. Wait on the Lord which is what the next psalm it talks about. In verse 1, To the chief musician, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. 
and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. And so, you know, one of the things you'll find when you're reading the Psalms, some of them are penitential, a lot of them are that. A lot of them are messianic as well. And Psalm 40 is a messianic psalm. We're going to see in verses 6 and 7 especially, it talks about Jesus. Now, uh, verses 1 and 2, some people believe that also is a reference to Christ. Uh, They say that this is in reference to his resurrection. You know, that Jesus was down in that horrible pit. We know that when Christ died, he did descend into that place in Sheol. But it was in the compartment of the righteous and and so, you know, then the father raised him. I, I'm not really sure if that's what's going on, but I do know this, that David went through many, many trials, uh, plenty of problems and pits that David was thrown into along, along the way of life, right? But thank God that he waited on the Lord. That's what he says. I waited, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and, and heard my cry. And I want to encourage you just to know we're supposed to do the same thing, right? Wait on the Lord. Uh, whatever it is, God usually is not going to do things fast. Usually our master doesn't work in the microwave, you know, because you guys know it's not as good in the microwave, huh? You guys know that? You know, you got to cook it over like a wood fire or something. I mean... You know, usually it's not like that. Sometimes he'll work fast, but usually not. It's not going to happen overnight. And so you have to be patient. You have to be praying. God hears, and when the time is right, he will lift you up out of the pit that you're sinking in. Next thing you know, you're on the solid ground. Next thing you know, you're walking with God, and your steps are established. It's amazing how this happens, you know, but we got to wait on God's timing. He has a way of knowing when we're ready and, 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 you know, when we're willing to change. And then when we're willing to change, then he's willing to change the situation. Sometimes I think he wants to slap us upside the head and say, what's wrong with you? Can't you see that things will change when you change? And not that God's making a deal, but he's working in us. That's what he's trying to do. You know, and so I know David experienced the, the pits of life. So did Jeremiah, right? Literally, he experienced the pits. We read in Jeremiah 38, 6, it says, So they took Jeremiah, cast him into the dungeon uh, of Malchiah, the king's son, which is in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire, this mud. He's just sinking in the mud. Imagine that. So Jeremiah sank in the mire, the Bible says. Imagine that, God's prophet. But Jeremiah is, is known, however, as the weeping prophet. And life and ministry, they were so hard for him. And everybody's different. Whatever you do, don't compare your life with someone else. I mean, you can't compare Jeremiah to Isaiah. You, you can't. Or you can't really even compare you know, Elisha and Elijah, or John and Jesus. I mean, it's just, everyone's different. Jeremiah had a really, really hard life. And, and the thing is, is that life was so hard for him, and, and it can happen to us as well. But God is faithful to bring us up out of that horrible pit, put us on the rock, and even put a song in our hearts. 
You know, I don't know when it'll happen for you. One day we're all going to go to the valley of the shadow of death, right? And then that day, you, you know, he's going to take you up out of the pit and he's going to put you in heaven. But God is faithful. You have to wait on him. You know, but God had done such a work in David. Notice in verse 3, it says, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. You see, the thing that you're going through, the pit, has a purpose. When God lifts you up, puts you on the rock, you start walking with Christ, people we're going to see, people will see, and people will be saved. That's what happened, and that's what David is talking about here, you know? I mean, the new song. This can speak a bit about us after we're saved. You know, you've been a Christian, and he puts a new song. It also really refers to the process of salvation, you know? Before I was saved, I, I used to like a lot of kind of music. You know, I used to like disco, jazz, you know, um, what else? Uh, rock, metal, I mean, crazy stuff. You know, but I used to sing uh, songs like Running With The Devil. I used to sing that song. I used to sing uh, uh, that song, I'm on a highway to hell. Think about that. How awful is that? I used to sing songs like Ain't Talking About Love. Uh, no love. But isn't it so cool that when you get saved, he puts a new song in your heart, right? And God saved me from all that, pulled me out of the pit. I'm no longer singing about the highway to hell. Now we sing about the highway to heaven, huh? No longer running with the devil. Now I'm walking with God. And no longer am I afraid to talk about love because now as Christians, we realize that it's all about love. When you wear your heart on your sleeve, you're going to get hurt, but you don't stop loving, right? Then the new songs, they don't end there, however, when we're saved. Then the new songs, they just continue all along the way. You know, we go through our personal struggles, and then what ends up happening is it, is it changes, it takes a radical turn, and it turns into eventually a testimony, and others see it. That's what he says there in verse th- 3. Praise to our God, many will see it and fear, and then they will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man, he says in verse 4, who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, but such as turn aside, nor such as turn aside to lies. You know, and, and sometimes instead of trusting the Lord, we might trust in some man who's got money or power, but they're not really godly. You know, there's a temptation to do that. We trust the unsaved person, you know, of power. We begin to think the rich man will provide or the smart man will guide. And God says, no, I want you to trust in me. God can use man, but I pray that our trust would always be in the Lord. You know, and I know for me, I've had to learn that. Uh, just, you know, I, I, I love everybody, and I thank God for all my friends, but man, my trust is in God. It's where it has to be, not only for salvation, but for everything. That's where we need to be. You know, verse 5, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order, If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. And so we see here that God works for us. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done. And God thinks of us. You know, and it's so cool. 
I mean, once you get into the time of Solomon, for the most part, it was a spiritual decline. So under the leadership of David, the sacrifices, the, the, the tabernacle, I mean, it was, it was at a, a pinnacle. But, but David writes this thing, and no, it's not about the sacrifices. And what he's doing is he's pointing to Jesus, right? And of course, we know that this was fulfilled in the Lord, you know? You know, when I look at Hebrews 10, uh, there's a lot here. But one, the first thing I see is incarnation. Not sacrifice, not offering, but a body, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The second thing I see is revelation. And this is how we know it's not David. Because right here, he says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. You know, and that's the whole Old Testament all about Jesus. And you guys know, and if you've read your Bible with an open heart, you know you can see Jesus everywhere. And that's exactly what we see in the Psalm and Hebrews passage. But then not only the, the, those words, but we also see incarnation, revelation, and then sanctification. Look, if you would, at verse 8 of Hebrews 10. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first and that he established the second. That's the New Testament. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so there's that, you know, that incarnation. There's that revelation. You know, Jesus told the religious leaders, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. And he told the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had to say. And you read in Luke chapter 24, in verse 25 through 27, he said, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures concerning himself. And that's what we see back in Psalm 39, that that's a prophecy that points us to Christ. I'm sorry, Psalm 40. And so um, let's finish up this psalm in verse 9, he goes on to say, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. And that could be David. It can also be Jesus, huh? Neither of them were ashamed. I mean, these guys spoke it. They sang it. You know, in verse 10, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. In verse 11, do not withhold your tender mercies. And now he prays. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. Notice again, my iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. 
O Lord, make haste to help me. You know, when you look at this psalm right here, you see David, you know, and it's interesting, most of the psalms, it seems like he's acknowledging his failures. He's acknowledging his sins. And I think that's a good place for us to be. Sometimes I'll talk to people and, they, and it, you think that they haven't done anything wrong. You know, they have no part in it. But usually, you know, usually we do. You know, and, and when you look at the life of David, you'll notice he wasn't necessarily a, a guy that lifted his hand against Saul or Absalom, you know, in that sense. But he did lift up his prayers to the Lord. And that's how we fight, right? Notice in verse 14, this is what he prays. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. I was just reading Chuck on this. He said, I don't know what aha means, but it's not good. <laughs> you know, and they, they come against you, or, you know, and David didn't, didn't come against Saul. He didn't come against Absalom. But he did pray. And again, we go back to that principle, huh, of praying. But not only does David pray against the ungodly, he prays for the godly. There in verse 16, however, he says, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. You know, and I just, I love that, you know, prayer. It's really um, to enjoy God and, and to exalt God. That's really what we see right there. Is that you? Are you seeking the Lord? You know, are you one of those people? You know, I want to draw near to him. I want to know you, Lord. You know, David is saying, those people, Lord, give them joy. Lord, bless their life. And, and bring them to a place where all they want to do is magnify you. It's an awesome prayer. And then he closes in verse 17. He says, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. You know, and we don't know for sure when David wrote this. Most theologians believe he wrote it after he had been king for a while. So a homeboy had a lot of money. He was rich. But he says something here that's interesting. He says, but me, as far as me, Lord, I'm poor and I'm needy, you know? I mean, he's a, David, when I think of David, how many of you guys kind of look forward to, to meeting David in heaven? It's going to be pretty cool, right? I mean, of course, Jesus first, and then some of our loved ones, and you know, maybe some of your Old Testament heroes, New Testament heroes, but David, man... You know, and so uh, when I think of David, I think he's a pretty good guy, a lot better than me. But when it comes to being good enough, he acknowledged that he wasn't, right? He acknowledges the fact that he was poor and needy. And the truth is, we all are. We're bankrupt. We need God desperately. You know, and, and thank God our Father hasn't forgotten us. Thank God He thinks of us. Um, he, he did deliver us uh, by dying for us on the cross, right? And, and David here acknowledges that. And what I, I think we need to do is have the same heart 
And we need to pray with the heart of desperation as a sinner. Lord, there is no way I'm going to make it. There's no, I don't have a chance unless you deliver me. You know, one last song I used to sing. Why don't we have the musicians come forward? I'm almost ashamed to say it. I am ashamed to say it, but it's okay. Because you guys know that I'm all messed up, right? But you know, they say one of the, the, the most popular songs in the whole world of all time is Stairway to Heaven, right? I don't know what that song was about, to be honest with you. But when I used to play it, because everybody plays it, every guitar player, you know, used to play it. Um, I used to think about climbing the stairway to heaven. I did. I used to think somewhere in the, my Catholic mentality combined with, you know, my whatever, my self-righteousness and stuff, I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take those steps. I'm going to ascend into the stairway to heaven. But then I found out when God opened my eyes that, that, that I can't and that I had no hope. And what ended up happening in, instead, instead of me trying to ascend this stairway to heaven, God descended this stairway, so to speak, from heaven. He came down to rescue me. And I want to tell you something. Just like he came down to rescue you when you needed salvation way back in the day, he is willing to come down and rescue you today. With whatever it is that you're going through, you know, because I, I know we need him. I know a lot of us here, myself included, we need God right now to show up because of the things that are going on in our life. You know, and so when I read these Psalms, when I read these Psalms, it really resonates within my heart. You know, when Jesus was there, and I'm sorry, I don't want to take up too much time, but right there where it says, I delight to do your will, I just think, wow, Lord, that, that's what it's all about, isn't it? it? It really is right there at the crossroads of life, whether we win or lose, it all has to do with whether or not we're willing to do his will. It really is. Just like with Jesus, that's how he redeemed us. And so prayerfully we come to that place in our hearts. And if you don't know the Lord and you're not a Christian, I pray you would know he loves you and he died for you on a cross. He rose again the third day. And if you would believe, if you would turn and you trust in him, then today you can be saved. And I pray that you would.